0: Want more control over your life? You need more control over your money. Hi, I'm Jean Chatsky, and that's why I started the Her Money podcast. From understanding your money personality to taking steps to earn more, spend wisely, invest for tomorrow, and protect it all, I can help you get there. So join me, subscribe to Her Money with Jean Chatsky wherever you get your podcasts. everyone. This is Nurse Mo. Welcome back to the Straight A Nursing Podcast. I am so, so happy that you're here with me today. This is episode 127, and we're doing a pharmacology topic today. I know you guys really struggle with pharmacology. So today we'll be looking at diltiazem. So before we hop into that, I want to take a quick moment for our listener shout out because I love hearing from you guys. And I just want to say thank you so much. Back to those of you who take the time to rate and review the podcast. So Nurse Rormack writes, time well spent. Nurses and student nurses don't have a lot of time to throw around, but this podcast is well worth a fraction of it. I find myself able to cement what I'm hearing in lecture and seeing in clinical while listening to Nurse Mo. I've learned new ways to absorb information with the latte method, and those telemetry brain sheets have become our class's favorite method of receiving and giving report. I could not be more grateful to have this tool available at my fingertips. Thank you, Nurse Mo, for the time you spend to deliver these amazing podcast episodes. I appreciate it more than I can tell you. Well, I appreciate you so, so much. And all of you who take the time to listen to the podcast, it is my sincerest hope that it helps you study, review more effectively and efficiently. So again, the topic for today is diltiazem, and we're going to be going through this using the straight intersing acronym DRUGS, D-R-R-U-G-S. So you guys will see diltiazem used a lot in the clinical setting, and we'll talk about why we use it and how it works. So if you're looking for more information about safe medication administration, I really want to remind you that I do have a very handy document called Bulletproof Your Medication Administration. So if you're in for semester clinical, especially, and you really want to cement those good habits, I invite you to go download that. I will link to it in the show notes. And actually, it's really good for anybody at any time. It's going to go beyond the five rights of medication administration and take into account other factors that really need to be thought through as you think critically through your patients and giving the medication safely. So that form is called the Bulletproof Your Medication Administration. So I will link to that below. So when we look at the drugs acronym, D-R-R-U-G-S, D stands for drug class. And if I could express to you guys the most important thing to learn about pharmacology is learn those drug classes. A question came up in my Crucial Concepts boot camp group. So Crucial Concepts is the course that I have for incoming nursing students. And then we have a Facebook group that goes along with that. And one of the questions that students were struggling with was, do I study the pharmacologic class or the therapeutic class? And I would say the pharmacologic class is going to give you way more information, the way more pertinent information that you need. So Diltiazem is in the pharmacologic class of calcium channel blockers, CCBs. And calcium channel blockers inhibit calcium ions from entering the slow channels of vascular smooth muscle and the myocardium. So the result of this is relaxation of vascular smooth muscle and dilation of coronary arteries. So as that vascular smooth muscle relaxes, it's going to vasodilate, and that's going to lead to a lower blood pressure. And because calcium channel blockers also dilate the coronary arteries, they increase oxygen delivery to the heart as well. So that's a good thing. And then again, we talked about the muscle of the myocardium, diltiazem is also going to exert an action on that AV node and it's going to decrease that AV node conduction and that can slow the heart rate. So diltiazem is in the class of calcium channel blockers. It's going to inhibit calcium from entering the what we call the slow channels of that vascular smooth muscle, the myocardium. We're going to get, as a result, vasodilation, lowered blood pressure. We're going to get better flow through the coronary arteries, and we're going to get slowing at the AV node leading to a slower heart rate. So that's the drug class. In a nutshell, what calcium channel blockers do. So you guys, if you're faced now with a different calcium channel blocker, guess what? You kind of know how it works, why it works, and where it works. So you know a lot about the drug already just by knowing the drug class and the pharmacology behind that. The first R in the DRRUGS acronym is ROUTES. In this case, diltiazem is pretty easy. You can give it via two routes, IV and PO. A lot of drugs are given via multiple routes, which is why it's important to know how it's given so that when you see something that, you know, like, I don't want to go off on too much of a tangent, but like nitroglycerin, which can be a topical paste or an IV infusion, like, whoa, that's a big difference there. Diltiazem, PO, and IV, common routes of medication for a lot of different things that you'll see. The second R in the DRUGS acronym is regular dose range. So this is kind of where I feel like students spend a lot of time memorizing things. And I get that you need to know Doses for your exams, I feel like it's more important just to kind of know the range of the dose. And by this, I just mean know when a dose is wildly outside that range, because that's a safety issue. In the clinical setting, you're always going to have resources at your fingertips to look these things up. So we look at a regular dose range for the idea of, okay, I have a general idea of what a regular dose range is. So, diltiazem could be in an extended release tablet, or it could be in a tablet that the patient takes multiple times per day. For those extended release tablets, a typical dose range of 180 to 240 milligrams is considered pretty standard. Could be up to 360, but for the most part, 180 to 240. Do you need to memorize that? If, it, if I ran the planet, I would say, don't memorize that. Why waste your time memorizing that? Maybe just have in your head 240 and just know that it's somewhere around there so that if you see 800, you might go, oh, wow, that seems high. Okay, so regular dose range immediate release tablets that the patient takes multiple times per day, those doses have more variability, could be 30 to 120 milligrams, and that's three times a day, maybe even four times per day. One thing to know, though, that you could have on an exam is that if the patient is also taking simvastatin, which is used for hyperlipidemia, then they're going to receive a lower dose of diltiazem. This may or may not be an exam question, but I could see some nursing professors trying to trick you up with that. Even though you're not writing the prescription and you're not the pharmacist fulfilling the prescription, maybe there'll be an exam question about maybe the patient's on simvastatin and they're also getting the max dose. And would that be a safety concern that you'd want to bring to the physician's attention? Very possibly, yes, you would. IV doses for diltiazem. Now, these can be intermittent like an IV push medication or it can be a continuous infusion. So as an intermittent IV push medication, that dose is essentially 0.25 milligrams per kilogram. And then that continuous infusion runs about 5 to 15 milligrams an hour. And we like to not run this for more than 24 hours, okay? We like to look then at other things to achieve the same effect that we're getting from the continuous IV infusion. Obviously, patients can't go home on a continuous IV infusion of diltiazem. So maybe then they would transition over to the PO medication instead, okay? So that's the regular dose range. The U in the DRUGS acronym for Diltiazem, we're looking at how it is used. And if you think about the drug class, those calcium channel blockers and what they do, think about what that does. And then you can kind of suss out what conditions it's used to treat because Diltiazem is going to vasodilate that vascular smooth muscle. Think about your garden hose analogy again, you guys, if you've got a great big garden hose versus a little tiny narrow garden hose, what does that do to pressure? The pressure is going to be lower in the bigger vasodilated garden hose. So we often use diltiazem to treat hypertension. You'll also see it used for angina and coronary artery spasms. Why? Again, look at what it does to those coronary arteries. It dilated them, right? So as those coronary arteries dilate, they get nice and open, they get really good blood flow, they get lots of oxygen, they're happy. Angina pain, gone. Coronary vasospasm, hopefully not happening. So we can look at it as a treatment for angina or coronary artery spasm. Sometimes it's used, um, I would say more for like preventative to prevent the angina from happening in the first place. Typically, if patients are having acute onset of angina, the medication I see most often used for that is nitroglycerin. And then we have the um, antiarrhythmic properties for diltiazem, namely tachycardia dysrhythmias. So if your patient's in SVT, supraventricular tachycardia, you could see diltiazem used for that and why again think about what it does to the av node slow in that conduction it's going to slow the heart rate okay and then you could also see it with atrial fibrillation and atrial flutter now it's not going to put them back into sinus rhythm but if the patient has a high ventricular rate with that atrial flutter or that atrial fibrillation then they can take diltiazem and at least get that ventricular rate under control. So if you hear someone say he was in AFib with RVR, what they are saying is the patient was in atrial fibrillation with RVR. Rapid ventricular response. That means they were in AFib with a heart rate above 100. And we typically don't like that. We like the heart rate to be under 100. Patients can hang out and chill in AFib all day, every day, as long as they're significantly or adequately anticoagulated, but we want that ventricular rate to be under 100. So the patient could be taking diltiazem for that reason. So as you're doing your care plans, as you're taking care of patients in clinical or on the job know that if the patient's on diltiazem, you need to figure out why they're taking it because it could be for a few different reasons. So knowing why your patient's taking the medication is really, really important. And it's also something that I cover in that bulletproof your medication administration uh, guidelines document that I really want you to download. And then the G in the acronym is for the guidelines. This would cover the administration guidelines that you as the nurse are going to follow. So with any medication that affects blood pressure and heart rate, you're definitely monitoring their blood pressure, and their heart rate. Take those measurements before you give the dose and then at regular intervals according to the policies of where you are working or in your clinical. In addition, anyone who's getting that continuous IV infusion of diltiazem will be on continuous cardiac monitoring. So they're going to be Um, In a critical care setting, some step-down telemetry units may do continuous diltiazem infusions if they're at a constant rate, not being titrated up and down. So those patients are on continuous monitoring as well. And the reason is because bradycardia can occur. We want to keep a close eye out for that. And severe hypotension can occur as well. So with that continuous cardiac monitoring, we're most likely taking their blood pressure every 15 minutes. Can you imagine getting your blood pressure taken every 15 minutes for 24 hours? Yeah, so it's no fun for the patients at all. So if your patient is taking diltiazem as a treatment or a prevention medication for angina, then you really want to do that focused angina assessment. You want to make sure that you're covering all the key components. And one way to easily remember is through the PQRST framework. And this is going to cover the P is for provocation does anything cause the angina pain to come on? Is it provocated by exercise or stress? In some patients, it's not provocated, it just happens. And that would be something that would occur in acute coronary syndrome, or even in a myocardial infarction. The Q stands for the quality of the pain. Any patient with angina, you want them to describe the quality of the pain. Typically, they're going to say that it's a crushing, a heaviness, a squeezing in the chest. And then R asks about if it radiates. So you've heard that classic sign of the pain radiating to the left arm, radiating up to the jaw. I've even heard of pain radiating to the back. So ask if the pain radiates. S is for severity. Have them rate the pain on a 0 to 10 scale. The patient with stable angina is going to have probably less severe pain than the patient having unstable angina or myocardial infarction. And then time asking the patient, how long does the pain last? Or does it come on at any specific times of day? A patient with that stable angina pain, typically that lasts less than 20 minutes. It's relieved by rest or nitroglycerin. The patient with the unstable angina then is going to have that pain that lasts longer than 20 minutes, doesn't get relieved by rest or or medication. So doing that thorough PQRST assessment really gives you an idea of what's going on with the patient's angina pain so that if something unexpected happens, you know it's an outlier for that patient. Additionally, because diltiazem can cause patients to go into heart failure, so that's one of the bad adverse effects of diltiazem, you definitely want to monitor their intake and their output, basically their fluid balance. Listening to their lung sounds will help us identify if that fluid is backing up into the lungs. Also, their oxygen saturation level, if their oxygen saturation level is dropping, their fluid overloaded, their lungs sound wet, well, all those things go together. You can also... Also assess for jugular venous distension, which occurs in that fluid volume overload with that heart failure, and peripheral edema, and of course, daily weights. Diltiazem should not be used in patients who have sick sinus syndrome, any second or third degree AV block. Okay, and that's pretty much standard for any medication that affects the AV node. If they are in a higher degree block, you don't want to block it further with a medication. So that just makes sense. That's just common sense. That's critical thinking. Be very careful of it. Uh, Probably not using it in patients who already are hypotensive because it's going to just exacerbate that hypotension. And the patient is currently on rifampin, a medication that we use to treat tuberculosis, this is not going to work together, so we're not going to have those two medications going at the same time. Any patient with pulmonary congestion or even patients with a recent MI, likely not going to be getting diltiazem. Use this medication in caution with your elderly patients and those who have severe liver or renal disease, ventricular arrhythmias, or heart failure, because again, it could exacerbate that heart failure, make it worse. So when we look at those guidelines, obviously some of the side effects, which is the next thing that we're going to talk about, that's the S in drugs, is um, the side effects. It has a wide range of side effects. So the most common is peripheral edema. And the most concerning is that heart failure, arrhythmias, and it can even cause Steven Johnson's syndrome, which is a life-threatening skin condition and rash that gets so severe, the skin begins to slough off and basically the patient has uh, third degree burns all over their body. So that's a very life-threatening condition. Of course, any medication that lowers blood pressure or delays AV node conduction like calcium channel blockers do can cause that hypotension and that bradycardia as well. So you guys, that's it. That is your quick and down and dirty guide for diltiazem, a very common calcium channel blocker used to treat hypertension, angina, coronary artery vasospasm as well, and tachycardia arrhythmias. And since I know you guys love the pod quizzes, let's do a few questions. So if you're new to pod quizzes, this is basically a time for you to just check your understanding. It's like doing flashcards, but with your ears. So I'm going to ask a question, pause for a moment, give you time to answer, and then tell you the answer. So it's just a quick way to review. So what pharmacologic class is Diltiazem? Awesome. It is a calcium channel blocker. Very, very good. And what does a calcium channel blocker do with those calcium ions? The calcium channel blocker is going to inhibit those calcium ions from entering those slow channels of the vascular smooth muscle and the myocardium. And when we inhibit that calcium ion from entering the vascular smooth muscle, what does that do to the vascular smooth muscle? Does it cause it to dilate or constrict, relax or constrict? It causes that relaxation, which then leads to vasodilation. What else besides systemic vasodilation, what else does it dilate? The coronary arteries very, very good. So as that vascular smooth muscle dilates, does that cause blood pressure to go up or go down? It's going to cause blood pressure to lower excellent job. And then what condition does it treat by dilating the coronary arteries? going to treat that angina and prevent that angina from occurring, hopefully. What effect does diltiazem have on the AV node? It's going to delay conduction at that AV node. And what does that do to heart rate? It's going to slow the heart rate. You guys are doing fantastic. What are the two routes that we can give diltiazem? Perfect, it's IV medication or PO medication. So with that PO medication, would a dose of 200 milligrams a day be more appropriate or a dose of 800 milligrams a day? We're looking at that more like 200 milligrams per day for that extended release tablet being way more appropriate than 800 milligrams per day. If the patient is also on this drug used to lower cholesterol, then we want to make sure that they're at a lower dose. What drug was that? That was simvastatin. Very, very good. And then for that IV continuous infusion, what's the time limit for how long we want to run that infusion? What do we generally try to stick to? Generally, less than 24 hours. Very, very good. So I want you to name a few conditions that diltiazem would be used to treat. Okay, awesome. So hypertension, definitely. Angina pain, we're going to prevent that coronary artery pain pain, um, like by keeping them nice and open. So um, the coronary arteries stay open, then we don't get that heart pain, that angina pain. And then another one would be coronary artery vasospasm, as well as tachycardia dysrhythmias, like which ones were they If you case you didn't catch them before. Very good, supraventricular tachycardia, and then AFib or AFlutter with that rapid ventricular response. Okay, so we're going to talk a little bit about the guidelines of giving diltiazem. What two things do you want to monitor before you give this medication? Blood pressure and heart rate, very, very good. And then what if your patient is on a continuous infusion? What monitoring do you want to have in place? continuous heart monitoring so that continuous telemetry monitoring and you want to be checking their blood pressure pretty darn regularly in the critical care setting that would be every 15 minutes when we're titrating that medication up and down and then what is the acronym for remembering how to do an angina assessment it was five letters what were those letters Very, very good. Okay, so the first one was P. What does that stand for? Great. Provocation. What provocates the pain? Sometimes it's nothing, and sometimes it's exercise or stress, something like that. And then what about the Q? What does that stand for? That's for the quality of the pain. Very good. And the patient might describe it as what? Yeah, like crushing, heaviness, squeezing of the chest. R stands for radiation. Does the pain radiate to another part of the body? And where would it typically radiate if it's really severe? Maybe that jaw, that left arm, maybe even the back. Very good. The S stands for severity. Awesome job. And then the T is for time. Very good. So in stable angina, we're generally looking at what kind of time frame for the pain, that angina pain. Usually less than 20 minutes, typically relieved by rest or nitroglycerin or calcium channel blocker. And then for unstable, more than 20 minutes. Very good. We're not going to give diltiazem to patients with what kind of heart blocks. second or third degree blocks, and then a medication used to treat tuberculosis cannot be given concurrently with diltiazem. What was that medication called? Rifampin. Very, very good. You guys are awesome. And then what would be um, the most significant side effects that you would see the most serious side effects? One involves the skin. Do you remember what that's called? That is Stevens Johnson syndrome. And then two others involve the heart. Do you remember what those were? Heart failure and arrhythmias. So very, very, very good. You guys are awesome. So that's a quick little pod quiz on Diltizem. And you guys, I know you love the pod quizzes so, so much. I'm working on a really exciting project that will have a heavy, heavy focus on pod quizzes. I don't have all the details just yet to share with you. And I want to make sure I have all my ducks in a row before I give you actual details. But if you go to straightanursingstudent.com forward slash announcements, you can see some information there and get on the wait list so that I can alert you when this project finally comes to fruition. And I'm hoping that will be in the next couple of months or so. So again, super exciting, big project that I think you're going to love, especially if you're into the pod quizzes. So I will see you guys back here next week when we will talk about otitis media. We got to talk about pediatrics. And that is a very common pediatric condition, otitis media. So I'll see you back here next week. Bye for now. This podcast is brought to you by Straight A Nursing.